Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Matthew chapter 13, we talked about this two weeks ago. Last week we didn't get to get into the to the meat of the word because the Holy Spirit just decided to do what uh, only he can do. And we love that. We want to make sure that we're always bent towards that, that, but we also have a high value of scripture. Come on in the word of God. And so we are, we are equally as excited about, about the words that God speaks as, as, as we are about the movement that he does. Come on. Amen. And so we're talking about this series and we're talking about being cross worthy, that we are, we are worthy of the price that Jesus paid, that God made a good investment whenever he sent Jesus to go to the cross. He invested in us, and he saw great value in our lives. And one of the stories that we talked about two weeks ago was from Matthew chapter 13, where it talks about this merchant that when it was searching for a pearl, a costly pearl. It's called the pearl of great price. And it says that he sold everything that he had when, it, when he found that pearl, and he sold everything and to purchase that pearl of great price. And we believe, listen, we believe that that as it's been preached many times, that we found the kingdom of God. We found God, so we abandoned all to get it. But what we really believe in that scripture is that God went first, that Jesus is that merchant that came on the earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And he said, you know what? You're a pearl. You're valuable. I'm going to give it all for you. I'm going to abandon heaven. I'm going to, I'm going to come down and be a human, and I'm going, to, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to take on flesh, and I'm going to, I'm going to purchase you with, with my precious blood. And we know that Jesus got us that great pearl of price. He saw us, and he said, you know what? You're valuable, and I want Want you and I'm coming after you and I got you and he gave us that great pearl. Amen. And so we're super excited about that. And it says in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Everybody say every, every spiritual blessing. How many know in he- heaven has all the spiritual blessings that you need? Right, all the the things that you need in your life, uh, Scripture says it this way: all all, all that we need a, a, a pertaining to life and godliness, all of it is in heaven. But it says this, that we've been blessed with those things. So all the great things that are in heaven that God has prepared for you, how many know it says right here that we've already been blessed with it? That we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we've attained to a certain status. Well, kind of. Because we have basically got the status of Jesus, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because we are united with Christ. Because we are in Christ. We have accessibility to everything that Christ has. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you, beloved. Isn't that good news? And it all happened. It all happened because of the cross. It all happens because of what it says in Isaiah, the prophecy that was spoken about Jesus. It says he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for my rebellion, our rebellion. He is crushed for my sin. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Everybody say whole. Everybody say healed. 
We're talking about healing today. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, so God, even though we weren't deserving, God saw that we were worth it. And he, what he saw, one of the things that he, he did is he suffered so that we could be whole and healed. And one of the ways that he suffered is through this, this ancient torture punishment called a flogging or a scourging. And what scourging was, the Romans would, would bring a guy in, and, and Jews would also do this, but at this time, Rome was in charge. And what would happen during a Roman scourging is, is, is first of all, they, they recognized that this is, and they generated it to be one of the most feared and most brutal and inhumane punishments. I mean, they created this process to really be brutal, to be mean, to, 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 to exercise justice. Come on. To pay back, to, to put a penalty on sin. And so they created this thing, flogging, and they used another thing they created, one of the most brutal instruments in human history called for, for punishment, called a uh, flagrum or a cat of And what it was, it was a whip, not like an Indiana Jones whip, but it was a, a whip that had several strands coming off of it. In fact, many times it, it's called a cat of nine tails. It had as many as nine strands of leather coming off this whip. And, this, and, the, and the tips of this, of this whip would have pieces of metal and, and, and bone. It was designed to shred the human skin. It wasn't designed to provide a, provide a, a bruise or a little whelp. No, it was, it was designed to, to get people to the brink of death. In fact, the Mosaic law said that you couldn't whip a man more than 50 times because if they endured more than 50 lashes from this instrument, that, that it would kill them. And so they put, a, put in the law, we don't want them to die, we just want to punish them real well. It's designed to quickly remove flesh from the body. So here's Jesus. Endures trial, stripped naked, his body stretched around a column, his ribs, his, his wrist harnessed, his skin stretched, laid bare to receive punishment. The beating began with lashes reaching to the back and arms, the shoulders, down the legs and calves. The bits of metal would dig deep into the flesh, ripping bone, ripping blood vessels, nerves and muscles. Blows to the upper back and the rib area caused severe bleeding, bruising. Bleeding could even continue into the chest cavity and cause partial to the complete collapse of lungs. Blood loss, vomiting, tremors. Seizures, exhaustion, dehydration, and bounce of fading all suffered from the Lord of glory. Many would not survive this torture, but love drove Jesus to finish the work. Why? Why would Jesus suffer? Such brutal punishment. Why would Jesus take these lashes? Why would Jesus be brought to the brink of death and feel this excruciating pain? 
Well, it tells us right there in Isaiah, he was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. See, Jesus took the punishment because he thought that you were worthy of healing. You are worthy, beloved, of healing. Jesus looked at you and he said, I want you to be mine and I want you to be well. I want you to be free from disease. I want you to be free from, from, from suffering, from sickness. I want you whole and I want you healed. You're worth it. See, healing is a critical issue. We kind of treat healing like it's like, you know, salvation over here and then healing kind of over here. But you ask any sick person how critical healing is, and they'll say it's pretty critical. Healing is critical. What we've done is we've, we've chosen to just kind of study the scriptures and just kind of look at healing as something that's kind of in the past something that's a has-been, but I believe that healing is for today. I believe that we serve a God that's never changed. Come on, I believe that the price that was paid by Jesus that day was a price that is worthy for the ages. Come on, a price that we can cash on 2,000 years ago. You can receive healing right now because of what Jesus paid. Come on, that was a worthy investment, and you're worthy of it. What are some false assumptions concerning healing? We have, man, we have, we, we develop some kind of weird, wacky, extra biblical ideas when we talk about healing, right? And so one of the things that we say is if someone's sick, it's because somebody sinned, right? You ever had that happen? I've been prayed for before and, you know, sick in my body. Do you have any sin in your life? <laughs> well, yeah, don't you? <laughs> Am I the only one? Somebody sinned. Yeah, somebody did sin. You know who sinned? Adam. Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, he brought death. Come on, he brought disconnection from God, and he brought sickness and disease into the world. Adam did sin. And so what people think is, I sinned, so God's punishing me with sickness. Some of you have thought that before. Listen, beloved, Jesus was already punished. Jesus has already been punished for your sin. You don't have to be punished for your sin. Jesus already was. And not just your sin, but for the sin of humanity. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Everybody say he was born blind. And his disciples asked him, it's funny, this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Well, obviously, he didn't because he was born blind. <laughs> Jesus has so much patience. I would have been like, <laughs> he's struggling, bro. All right. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or, man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But mm, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. 
He is not being punished for his sickness. He, he, was, he is here. He is blind. He is here right now that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Because we're the light of the world now, right? The church. Because he's not in the world anymore. I mean, he is, but in you. Verse 6. Having said this, he spit on the ground. Made some mud with the saliva. I know I don't say that right. And put it on the man's eyes. So Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, and wipes his eyes. And then he, then he told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. That was a good day for that man. A man that had been blind his whole life. So people start finding out. His neighbors and his friends. His relatives, they start finding out that the guy that used to be blind can see now. I don't know what they're going to call him. We haven't, the blind man was his name. Now we're going to call him the man that used to be blind. And so people start hearing that this man is healed, and they start being skeptical. They're like, you're not that guy. I'm the guy, I'm the guy that was out there like begging every day. You're not that guy. That guy's blind. What unbelief and skepticism. Then the Pharisees find out, uh-oh, you get in trouble now. Weren't a very good Jewish boy today because you got healed on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees get angry. You know, it's funny. The religious spirit is funny. See, Pharisees tend to place priority on process over people. Isn't that Right? We don't, look at, we don't look at the product. We don't, we don't look at the people. We look at the process. Let's like examine the process. Did you dot all the I's and cross all the T's? No, I didn't. Did you? They seem to examine the means but never look at the end. I mean, because it's kind of weird what Jesus did. I mean, if, if we did that in church today, then we would see a religious If I brought and I spit in mud and I made mud and we had a blind person, I wiped it on his eyes, you would have a problem with that. I would probably have a problem with that. Pharisees tend to place a priority on process over people. Even if it's a good process. The process is, how many know the process is meant to serve the people? Not people, the process. Come on. Mm. We think people were created to serve the system. No, 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 beloved. The system is meant to serve the people. But the religious will always scrutinize methods and ignore the results. That's what they do. Well, I don't really like the way they did that. I should have done it a little bit better way. They should have been a little nicer. Jesus shouldn't have spit. Can you believe Jesus put spit on that man's eyes? Can you believe Jesus healed that guy? All of a sudden, I'm not so bothered, and I'm sure he's not so bothered by the spit in the mud. So they start labeling Jesus a sinner, mostly not because of the mud thing, but because it was the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to do good things on a holy day. I don't know where they got that. That was definitely added on. So they label Jesus a sinner, and they start questioning the blind man. They start treating him like he's the one that did something bad. So tell us about this Jesus. Is he a prophet? What's he doing? Doing the work of God. Then they question his parents. 
And then they bring him in for a meeting. <laughs> well, have you already been brought in for a meeting? <laughs> I've done some bringing in meetings too. So they brought him in for a meeting. So for the second time, they called the man in who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay not to have an answer. I don't know. Some of you need to say that more often. Mm, let me just let me camp right here for just a minute. Some of you 18 to 25-year-old young men need to remove the words I know out of your vocabulary or add the word don't in there. I don't know. You're going to learn a lot more by saying I don't know than you will saying I do know. That's free today. It's free. It's the bonus episode. I don't know whether he is a sinner. But I know this. I was blind. I, I couldn't see. I, I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with what he did. Either. I mean, it was a Sabbath, and you guys don't seem to like that very much. And I, I don't know. I don't know if, if, you know, if he's supposed to do that on this. I don't know if he's a sinner. I mean, all I know is that I was blind, and now I see. And that's good enough for me. See, God longs to heal his children, because it brings attention to his goodness. See, when we ask for the glory of God, just like Moses did, when Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, it it doesn't say that the glory passed in front of, Hannah and I were talking about this, it doesn't say that the glory of God showed up to Moses, it says the goodness of God. God said, I'll cause my good, you ask for my glory, I'll show you my goodness. My goodness is my glory. So when we're asking for the glory of God, what we're asking for is his goodness to be revealed. We're asking for his nature to show up. Why was this man blind? So that he could get healed. Why are you sick? So that you can get healed. Not so that you can die. Not so that you can stay that way. So that the works of God could be manifest. Now that's not to say that sometimes sickness isn't because of sin. Because there are sins that you will commit in your life that will lead to sickness. Come on. If you can't control your diet a little bit better, and you gluttonize all the time, come on. You will probably have sickness. If you are putting things into your body that you should not be putting into your body, if you're sleeping around like you shouldn't be sleeping around and you get some kind of disease, God didn't make you sick. You made you sick. That's the kind of sin that leads to sickness. But again, we serve a God that heals. And we serve a God of mercy. God loves to heal his children because it brings attention to his goodness. So, the first problem that people have with healing, or the first misconception they have is that the reason why people are sick is because somebody sinned. The second reason or issue that people have whenever healing comes up is that, or somebody doesn't get healed, is they say somebody doesn't have enough faith. Well, if you had more faith, you would be healed. Now, now let's, 
let's say this. Faith is absolutely necessary when healing happens. Absolutely necessary. Faith is kingdom currency. If we don't have faith, we won't have anything active in our life that is kingdom currency. Some of us have large measures of faith, and some of us have little levels and measures of faith. Some of us have faith for certain things. Some of us have faith for other things. But Scripture says that we've all been given a measure of faith. What that doesn't mean, that if you're sick, it's because you don't have faith. Because I guarantee you, you do have faith. Even if you only have a little bit of faith. How much faith did Lazarus have? Dead Lazarus in a stinky grave, in grave clothes, how much faith did he have? Less than you. He was dead. Last I checked, dead people don't believe in anything. The, the biblical mandate of healing is often the faith is not placed upon the person that is sick, but on the person that is praying. Check out James chapter 5, verse 14. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church and come and pray over them, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Who's praying? Who is the commission? The elders, the leaders of the church. It says, and the Lord will make you well. You'll get healed. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. Who's the faith put on? The ones praying. So if you're ever in a meeting getting healing and someone says, do you have sin in your life? You go, well, not any more than you. Say, do you have faith? Well, yeah, I believe. The question is, is that the person praying for you believe? You all right? And just like we talked about last week, it's not about the presence of your unbelief. It's about the presence of your belief. Just might be that little bitty mustard seed size faith. And if we will be vulnerable with God and say, you know what? I believe. Just like that man who saw his demon-possessed boy get delivered that day. He said, Lord, I do believe. But you got to just help my, my unbelief. My faith's only this big. It's pretty small. Did you see that? You didn't even see it. I had a seed in my hand. It was a mustard seed. You know, you got to get close sometimes. You got to get, it's easy to, it's easy to stand at the distance and go, he don't have any faith. It might only be this big, but you got to get up close to see it. But if that seed is planted, it will grow. Come on. It will grow and become something strong and powerful. And so just be vulnerable with your unbelief. So if somebody doesn't have enough faith, is an invalid argument. Maybe you should pray for the person and have enough faith. Number three, the third kind of objection or false assumption concerning healing is this, that God doesn't want to. Well, we would never say it like that, but really what, that's exactly what we say when we say it's just not God's will. If you ever ask me to pray for you, I will never pray, Lord, if it's your will to heal this person, heal them. I will never, ever pray that. You know why? Because the disciples never prayed that way. And Jesus never prayed that way. They never said, Lord, if it's your will, heal somebody. They just healed them. (laughs) 
That's the pattern I'm trying to follow. Now, we won't break fellowship over this issue, but listen, because some of you will be like, well, I don't really agree with that. All right, that's okay. These are the objections. Well, brother, (laughs) I'm going to be a little bit sarcastic, so just, just give me some grace. Well, brother, God's ways aren't our ways. And sometimes God will get greater glory out of somebody not getting healed than if they do get healed. And people will come to Jesus because they died. Awesome. I think more people will come to Jesus if they get healed. I don't know. It just seems to make more sense to me. I mean, it is His goodness that leads people to repentance. Let me get this straight. God has some higher purpose, and He needs you (laughs) to be sick to accomplish it. I mean, omnipotent God, all-powerful God needs you to be sick to accomplish His purposes. And I would love for you to have a chapter and verse on that. Well, what about Paul's thorn in his flesh? What about it? It says that God used that thorn to keep him humble. Did you know, when it, when, first of all, it never says that Paul's thorn in his flesh was a physical abnormality, nor does it say that it's a sickness or disease. It it actually says this, a messenger from Satan. God sent a messenger from Satan to make Paul humble. Well, I think a messenger from Satan is an actual messenger. In my opinion, it's a person that was antagonizing Paul. That was keeping him from getting haughty. He's like, how can I get prideful? Because every time I have a meeting, this guy shows up and he's heckling and annoying me. There's that one. And then this is what people people say. You get it down to this, and they go, well, doesn't God use suffering? Absolutely God uses suffering. In fact, the, the redemptive quality of suffering is that God will use it to make me look more like Jesus. But God will use everything and anything. He loves me so much, and he wants me to look like Jesus so much that he'll use anything and everything to make me more like Jesus. But that doesn't mean he causes it. He can use a quarrel, an intense fellowship time with me and my wife. Intense fellowship? He can use intense fellowship between me and my wife to make me look more like Jesus. That doesn't mean he wants my wife and I to have intense fellowship. He'll use anything. To make us look more like Jesus. And understand this, the New Testament, because when you start talking about this, you have all these, you know, people that are the, the, the self-imposed Bible thumpers who don't follow what Jesus or the disciples did. They just like to quote scriptures of people that are. But don't want to ever follow the scriptures. Just want to beat everybody up, just like the Pharisees. They'll say, well, all you health, wealth, and Prosperity gospel. Blah, 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 blah. And we'll talk about that during this series. So you just hang on. The, Bible, the New Testament does not promise a non-suffering life. All the disciples were persecuted, suffered for the gospel. 
we need to be willing to suffer for the gospel. The problem and the error is whenever we look at the word suffer in the scriptures, because when we're sick, we're suffering, and associate our sickness with their suffering, they were suffering for the gospel. They were getting their limbs cut off for declaring the gospel. They were being crucified upside down. That's what suffering looked like for them, not I have cancer. Not one time in the Bible do we see that from the Apostle Paul. He never teaches that. The disciples aren't aren't teaching this, that God's making you sick. That he's, he's making you sick to teach you a lesson. I mean, how good of a father would I be if Judah's misbehaving this week and I said, you know what, son? I think you need to suffer a little bit. And I do make him suffer a little bit sometimes. We ground him. We bust that butt. You better believe it. He does suffer a minute. But I'm not going to give him cancer. You talk back to your mom one more time. Cancer for you. All of it. Go ahead. That sound, that's funny and ridiculous. Why? Because it is ridiculous. It's exactly what it is. So the New Testament, speaking of suffering, is not speaking of human sickness. Will God use that? Will, will God use anything? Yes. Does not mean that he wants you to be in that state. You know, I've learned a lot about God from his goodness. I learn far more about the Lord whenever I see his goodness. And I see his tenderness. I learn far more about God that way, then I do this idea of a mean-spirited God who's just always, like, ready to smack me because I've done something stupid. What's the point, Pastor? Healing is available. That's the point. God wants to. God wants to. I love Rob Parsley says this. He said, if, if, if he didn't want to heal you, he wouldn't have. That's why it says in Isaiah, we were healed. So what does that mean? That means we're going after it. We're going after healing. It's like if I told you after service today over at Starbucks, we pre-ordered you a grande non-fat hazelnut latte, whatever your drink is. Cold brew, cold brew or, you know, whatever. That's my thing. Go over there and get your, get your drink. It's over there waiting for you. You're like, no, nah, I'm good. I really like it, but I don't want to drive over there. Maybe it's not God's will that I would have that, so I'll just kind of let it sit on the counter and grow stale and cold and be spilled out in their sink. That's what we do with healing all the time. Good illustration, babe. So we're going after it. Listen, is the full atonement, the full work of the atonement, salvation, yes, the forgiveness of sins, absolutely, primary to get us in the right relationship with God. Deliverance, freedom from sin, the overcoming life of sin, which we'll talk about in this series. Is that available to all? Absolutely. See, if you came in here with a heroin addiction, and I I said, well, we'll just pray. If it's the Lord's will for you to not be addicted to heroin anymore, we'll just pray that. Well, Lord, if it's your will to deliver them from heroin, why don't you just go ahead and do that? No, that would be stupid. Of course God wants to deliver them. But why do we think about healing differently? Because we've seen a lot of prayers unanswered. But, beloved, listen, we don't build theology 
around unanswered prayers. Let me say that again. We don't build theology around unanswered prayers. If it's in the Bible, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. My God heals today. He wants to touch you today. He wants to move in your body. He wants you to represent his goodness. Go after it. And we're going to go after Whenever you get the report, we're going after it for you. We're not just going to dismiss it by going, well, if it's the Lord's will, we, we have no responsibility here. Oh, we're going after it. We're going to get you healed. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to believe. It's available. We're going after it. We got four Gospels where Jesus heals every person that came to him. There's one account, and this is what people like to bring up, Mark chapter 6, where it says that he couldn't do any miracles there. Jesus couldn't do miracles? Yeah, and then the next verse says, because he's never seen unbelief. He was amazed by their unbelief. But two verses before that, their unbelief is revealed, listen, in their dishonoring of Jesus. Because Jesus shows up in his hometown, and they're like, oh, isn't he cute? Isn't Jesus cute? Isn't that Mary and Joseph, the carpenter's boy, isn't that him? Right? Just look at Jesus. Okay, we've been hearing you've been doing miracles, and they dishonored him. And after they dishonored him, he said that. He said, you know what? They didn't have faith in me. They had, a, they had faith in an idea that was somebody, I'm somebody else. See, some of you believe something different about Jesus than who he really is. That's why you haven't got a breakthrough, because you have a misconception. You're believing in the wrong Jesus. Mm. It says they couldn't do the book of Acts. The disciples say, well, that was Jesus. Yeah, it was Jesus. But you know what? In the book of Acts, the disciples, every person they prayed for got healed. They had so much healing flowing out of their lives. Peter walked down the road. His shadow falls on somebody, and the dude gets healed. Paul preaches. A dude's listened to him in the balcony. He falls out of the balcony because he's preached too long into the night, just like today. He falls out of the... Why are you laughing? Falls out of the balcony, hits the ground, dies. They use the nice word. They say he fell asleep. Yeah, he fell asleep up there, and he fell asleep down there. And, he, and then he, gets, he raises him from the dead. So we have all these crazy miracles, and then we go, well, you know, we just don't really want to make an issue of it. Just kind of be passive about it. You know, not one time during these things, I'm not praying that you saying that you shouldn't go, oh, Lord, we pray you will. Yes, we always pray the will of God, but sometimes we know the will of God. So we pray what we know. We know the will of God. Listen, not one time when Jesus or his disciples prayed do I see them going, Lord, if it's your will, if you've got a greater purpose. We don't base our theology on experience. We base it on the word of God. Luke chapter 5. In one of the villages, Jesus saw a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground. There's that honor thing. Begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Beloved, he is willing. He is willing. How do we appropriate wholeness? How do we appropriate healing? Well, number one, you got to believe. Again, it might just be that little bitty mustard size faith. 
But that's all it takes because Scripture tells us if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed, we'll speak to the mountain, move, and it'll be cast into the sea. If you believe in your heart, come on, believe that you've received it. It'll be done. Believe in your heart. Believe just that little bit of faith. But sometimes we don't believe. Sometimes we allow the doctor's report to be louder than the Word of God. Sometimes we let Google, don't Google your symptoms, by the way, or you're dying tomorrow. That's the kind of faith it'll give you. And we, we, we're so, we're, listen, we're so fear-bent on all the information in front of us because we believe the report of the world more than we do re- believe the report of the Lord. And the Lord wants you to believe his word. Believe, will you believe, beloved? We believe that prayer is available to you. Oh, uh, yeah, I believe God could heal me. If he wants to do it, he'll heal me. Why don't you do that with any other thing? And so we make these little passive statements. Well, you know, it's just a little, it's just a little headache. I have a headache every Tuesday. I don't know what it is. Every Tuesday I get this, like, killer headache. And for some reason, my response is always, you know, I keep a bottle of Advil in my car. Nothing wrong with Advil. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for ibuprofen. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I believe it. I believe it. Listen, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being serious. Thank God for those things. However, why am I running to that bottle before I say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I command these headaches to stop. I can't think clearly. I can't live out the will of God. I can't live out your intentions for me with this stuff going on in my head. In the name of Jesus, clarity. That should be my first response. And then if I take some ibuprofen, that's okay. I haven't sinned. But don't be passive about it. Listen, these little token prayers. When you pray, don't be like, well, Lord, okay, yeah. Because you prayed it a thousand times. Beloved, I get it. We pray every night. God gave, us, God gave us a word a year and a half ago that Overflow Church would be the house of the open womb. That's why we have so many babies. We were praying here on Saturday night. God said, Overflow Church would be the house of the open womb. So every night, every single night when we pray with our kids, we get our kids together and we, pray, we say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray that Overflow Church would be the house of the open wombs. And we start calling out by names the women that we know in our church that are barren, and we begin to call them out. But, you know, sometimes we don't pray that way. I know you think, like, I'm going, like, put on religious garb and come out with a censor. We pray. No, it's, it's not. Sometimes it's like, Lord, we love you. Amen. Right. Sometimes it's just that he's just being real. And then we break out the censors. Okay. So sometimes we pray like we don't really believe. We just kind of pray like, oh, Lord, touch moms. The end. Beloved. If we really believe that healing is available, let's go after it. Let's put some faith to our prayers. Number two is nurture expectation. Stop saying if and start saying when. If it's not if, it's when. Lord, is today going to be the day? When you wake up, say, Lord, is today going to be the day that I'm going to receive my healing? Because I believe I'm already healed. According to your word, I'm ready to see that in my life. Will today be the day? Speak and declare. Listen, your words are powerful. We talk about that all the time. Our words are powerful. You know, you know what words are more powerful than your words? God's word. God's word is far more powerful than your word. In his word, listen, your words are powerful. And you should be careful how you use your words. But his words are so much more powerful. 
You think your words are powerful. His words will bring healing. And you know what his word says about you? This is what his word says. His word says, by his stripes, you are healed. That's what it says. That's more powerful than you going, I've got a headache. I didn't say it. He said it. People are like, are you saying? I'm not saying. I'm repeating. Sing the promises. Nurture that expectation. I praise before my breakthrough. We used to sing a song. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Anybody know that? I am the Lord, your healer. I sent my word and healed your disease. I am the Lord. Does anybody know that song? If you got disease, if you got sickness in your body, you just begin to sing the word. Because that's, that's in the scriptures. God said that I am the Lord, your healer. I send my word and I heal your disease. So you sing the scriptures. You declare the scriptures. You put the scriptures on your, on your bathroom mirror. Come on, you put it in your heart. You study the word. You get into the word till the word gets into you. Till you have, do you have the faith the size of a mustard tree? <laughs> Come on. Sing the promises. Then meditate on the word. Whoa, what is it? Whoa, whoa, meditate. Whoa, easy. Yeah, meditate. Talks about it in the Bible. Let's read it. You know you already know how to meditate? Most of you meditate every day. You know what you know what it's called? Worry. So you already know how to meditate. Bill Johnson says this. He says, he says, just change the subject. That's how you meditate. That's how you meditate on, because right now you're meditating on your problem. Change the subject. Change the direction of your meditation because you're already meditating. I like to be by myself and think about how horrible my life's going to be if I don't get that raise. The bills don't get paid. My kids don't line up. If my wife's still mad at me. That's all meditating. Change the subject. Change the direction of your thinking. Meditate on the word. Now, listen, there are many questions, and I want to be sensitive, beloved. Listen, there are many questions on why healing hasn't or didn't happen, but what needs to dominate our mind is that Jesus saw us worthy of healing. All that that we read earlier about our hearts being stirred, about why he is whipped, that was done for your healing. Jesus Jesus would not have suffered the flogging if he didn't want you healed. He could have dealt with your sins on the cross, but he dealt with your physical well-being through the beatings, through the flogging. We need to allow what needs to dominate our mind is that we saw that Jesus saw us as worthy of healing. Jesus paid for our healing and that Jesus didn't change. The price he paid 2,000 years ago was an investment. It's sufficient for now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that was a high enough price when the king of glory suffered like that for you to walk in wholeness today. Believe. Meditate. Steward holiness. You know what steward holiness, wholeness means? I said holiness. Wholeness. You know how you steward health? By taking care of yourself. By not eating chicken fried steak and enchiladas 16 times a week. Because, dude, I, I'll just be real. I could eat enchiladas and chips and salsa every meal. I ain't lying. I'm not the man I used to be, physically speaking. 
kind of half the man I used to be in that regard. I'm still working on it. Still got a little ways to go. But listen, don't sit around and go, oh, I'm sick. I just believe in God for my healing. And you don't live like a healthy person. Sit around on your butt watching Netflix for 10 hours a day and complain about how your knees hurt and your back hurts and I don't feel like doing anything. You're going to have to get out and move on faith like you feel like doing things. Put some feet to your prayers. Get up and walk around the block a couple of times. Steward healing. Steward wholeness. Take care of yourself. God gave you that body. Take care of it. Number four is pray. Listen, God's will is to be prayed in. God's will doesn't just happen. Really? No. Matthew 6, verse 9. This is the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer. We call it the Lord's prayer. It's really for the disciples. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, the king's dominion, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there's no sickness. In heaven, there's no cancer. In heaven, there's no migraines. In heaven, there's no leprosy. There's no no epilepsy. In heaven, there's no addiction. You know the will of God. Pray it. It's the gospel of the kingdom. That we're preaching the king's dominion. Does Jesus rule over sickness? Oh, yeah. Paid a high price to do that. See, we can preach, and the, go, listen, healing is so critical. It's important that we are all learning about healing. It's so important. It is not a B issue. Beloved, look how much healing happens in the ministry of Jesus. And then we don't even pray for sick people. We see them, we're like, oh, I'm sorry, you're sick. I'll pray for you, and you don't. We made a practice a long time ago. If someone says, hey, pray for me, we go, we will pray. And we stop, right? Whatever we're doing, we pray. See, we can preach healing without the gospel, but you can't preach the full gospel without healing. It's part of the full gospel. We're full gospel. Salvation, healing, deliverance. Full gospel. We can preach healing without the gospel, but you can't preach the full gospel without healing. And healing is our mandate. Mark 16, chapter 18. Jesus said, go preach the gospel. We're like, yeah, we need to go preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Oh, it's not my gift. Matthew 10, verse 7. Go and announce them to the, announce the kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cure those with leprosy. Cast out demons. Give freely as you have received. Give freely as you have received. You've received the deposit of the Holy Spirit. You've received the healer. Come on. You don't just get healing. You get the healer. You get the great physician. I'm closing with this verse, and we're going to pray for sick people. Psalm chapter 107, verse 19. Lord, help, they cried. And they're troubled, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 20, he sent out his word and healed them. Snatching them from the door of death. He sent his word and healed them. 
John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And God took upon flesh. The Word took upon flesh and made His dwelling. The Father sent the Word, Jesus, to heal your disease, to heal your sickness, beloved. 